Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's special guest is Tag McClory. Uh, he and I met about a few years ago at a um, conference that we had at CBRE uh, through the African American Network Group. Uh, he is out of Boston, and so I'm from California. And anytime I think you get people together and everyone gets to network and meet, and you find you have common interests and commonalities. Um, and so having him on today, I think, was a no brainer because we just have a lot of shared interest as it relates to DE&I um, and just his career story in terms of where he is today. I think um, folks who decide to kind of follow passions and pivot into places that really light them up uh, is a huge part of why I started Full Circle. I think it's important to you know, sometimes know when you need to do something else. Um, and I think his story is an opportunity to um, explore that. So happy to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carlin. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So honored and humbled for the, uh, the invite. Yeah. Um, I think what made having you on something important was your background is unique. Uh, I think uh, growing up biracial in America mm. <laughs> is always a unique experience, especially um, when I think it was like, what, 51 years ago? Uh, the Loving case essentially was made to say that it was legal mm -hmm. uh, to have an interracial relationship in America. So we're pioneering a whole new, I'd say, generation of interracial families, interracial children. Um, and so I think what's, for me, what was interesting um, is hearing about what it was like to grow up biracial before we even called it that, right? Because I don't mm. think we even had that language. Um, so so can you tell me a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. The As a child growing up, um, you're right. There, there really wasn't specific language, you know, or an understanding, right, about what, what being biracial or multicultural meant. Um, you know, I think I, I heard more slang terminology, you know, applied to that, you know, as a, uh, as a young man or as a young boy and a middle schooler, that, uh, it was really the first time I started to, to understand, right. That, that my, my set and circumstance in life was different or unique from, from others. Uh, to me growing up in two worlds, right. Uh, I hail from, um, a beautiful blend of Trinidad and Tobago, Ireland, Armenia, uh, African-American uh, from the Midwest, uh, my grandmother. Um, so for me, I was used to just toggling back and forth between these two families. At the time, it didn't seem that uh, amazing, right, that they all got along, 
and there was uh, not just um, you know tolerance but respect, right? Mutual respect between both my parents, but also the families that raised me. Right. Um, so I, I consider myself part of a modern family before you know the modern family was uh, was, was pop culture. Right. Um, so pretty unique experience for me. So when was your earliest memory of being different, whether that was at school or in your, you know, community? It's a great question. I mean, I think for, for me, it was probably middle school. I think that, that time in, in your life uh, and that season of our lives uh, is, is very much you start to define kind of who you are. Um, and I think at that early age, oftentimes, sometimes you, you, what defines you is what you hear and what other people are saying, right? And so that's when I started to notice uh, that there was a difference or that there were these um, almost built-in sides. I remember specifically in middle school, seventh grade, um, I grew up in Lynn, Mass., very diverse community, uh, one of the largest, you know, uh, majority-minority communities, cities in Massachusetts. And, and the junior high I went to was, um, was a unique blend of, of white, African-American, Latino. Um, but that year, there was a very high volume of Asian students from Vietnamese, Vietnam, and Cambodia. And I remember specifically sitting at the lunch table, realizing that the whole lunchroom was segregated. Uh, and the first time I, I actually heard, um, you know, words that I really didn't, he- I'd never heard before uh, to describe, you know, an Asian community. Um, and so it was, that was probably the first time I noticed. Um, and just given my, you know, my physical complexion, um, you know, people aren't, aren't aware, you know, that I'm biracial, right? I think I, I have, um, I think, you know, physically identified or present as white, we'll call it throughout my life. Um, and I, I recall in, in middle school, um, that's, you know, kind of the group that, that kind of surrounded me. Um, and at that time, you know, that, that's what it was like. I think, you know, that was probably the first time I, I kind of realized that my experience was different. Um, I think the first time I realized that I was truly part of not just one, you know, race and background, but multiple, and it had deeper meaning, deeper historical meaning, um, was in graduation. I graduated, um, I remember on graduation day, they presented um, an academic achievement award for the you know highest achieving minority student in my junior high, and when they called my name, um, I was confused. Um, I felt uh, a bit um, guilty, a bit uh, embarrassed, you know, because I just uh, one I didn't understand. Okay, well, what is? I'm a minority. What does that mean? Um, you know, why why am I you know getting this honor, right? Um, and that was probably the first you know, aha moment for me that, okay, uh, I'm not white. I am not black. I am, I am both, you know, I am something unique. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's interesting. You said, um, you know, you have a Caribbean background and I feel like in the Caribbean, it's just not the same. Like even the thought of how people perceive race, mm-hmm. um, is a little different because people have been, um, mixing, so to speak, for a very long time. And so, and communities live very close to each other. And so you've got, you know, all kinds of people together. And so when you um, are raised in a family where that's kind of normal, and then you go out into the world and you realize everyone else isn't really 
subscribing sometimes to that same ideology. You, at least myself, I've got a you know Caribbean background and family members that range the the spectrum of you know skin colors and yep. um, you. I just I didn't realize there was a difference either until I was in school. So I think it's yeah. interesting how school makes it very clear to you where you are in. Oh no question. In the in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the group. Yeah, and and as I and I think as I've you know grown older and in the season of my life now and looking back, I think my experience you know at that through each educational stage right provided a different discovery right a different unfolding of okay what is what is that what is my identity and how do I how do I fit in or how do I stand out right and I think you know, it it evolves as we mature. So, you know, in middle school, it was kind of the realization, right, that, that I am part of, of two different groups, right, that um, definitely have very distinct sides. Uh, and then from middle school, I went to an all-boys Catholic school, St. John's Prep, which was vastly different demographically than my middle school. I was one of two uh, students of color in my class, uh, and I could count on, you know, at least one hand uh, or two in the school across four grades, um, the non-white students. So that was, and that was probably the, in high school, the experience of now my, my uniqueness is, um, is very, you know, different, right. And people are actually coming to me to, to learn about, you know, that and, and, my, and the people that I surrounded myself with and, and my close group of friends and the organizations that I really bonded well with were those that, that were more diverse and more tolerant and more understanding of and, and open, open-minded. Um, yeah. And then college, I would say it was another phase when I got asked pretty bluntly, you know, so are you black or white? You know, so, you know, hearing that question, it's almost like saying, you know, do you love your mom or your dad more? Right. And so it's like, well, I'm both, I'm neither, I'm both. Um, and I was, you know, adamant about, you know, um, being defined, you know, that way. Right. And I think that that just comes with being confident, right. In your own skin. Um, so it's, it's certainly, it's been a journey. Uh, it's been a great journey to, to, uh, to learn more. Yeah. So you decided to become a history major, or should I say you landed mm -hmm. in history? Cause I, I know everyone sometimes tries on various things before they kind of pick the one that they, um, decide to pursue. So can you tell me about, you know, what you were thinking about when you decided to pursue a particular path in college? Yeah, it's, it was a great question. I mean, I think I did end up being a history major and an art minor. However, I, I went into Dartmouth um, believing I was going to be an engineer. You know, I was uh, math was my it was my strong suit coming out of school. Um, I loved history. I, I loved history. The teachers I had uh, in history in high school. And so I think that really guided my final decision. Um, but also what, what, you know, as you s sit at the, uh, what I like to call kind of the beginning of the buffet table in college, looking at all the choices in front of you, um, you know, it can be overwhelming, but I was very focused on that math track until I hit what I call the math wall, um, you know, sophomore year, I just, uh, the, the problems got more complex and, and also the, the environment and the people I was interacting with, they just didn't something didn't feel right. Right. And I think that's, it's a, 
that was one thing that as I, as I talked to younger um, students, um, particularly in high school going to college, and they're very much focused on their plan and what they're going to do, um, really trying to encourage them to have an open mind. Because I think ultimately, you know, I, I ended up choosing history because I truly, I enjoyed the teachers um, and the subject matter uh, as I got um, more and more uh, intertwined in, at the college level. And that's really what, what drove me to history. Uh, it wasn't with a, you know, mindset that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a history teacher or a lawyer or, you know, that was kind of my mindset um, in the moment. I also, uh, you know, chose art because I had discovered probably later, you know, in my career at college that uh, the creative side of um, the creative side of me was, was something I, that was really untapped. And I really enjoyed the energy, um, you know, the use of, of hands and uh, just perspective to, to create something and to really get my creative juices flowing. So um, that really drove kind of the, the decision of, of what I majored in. What mediums were your favorite? Um, I would say at the end of it, photography and painting. So I, I definitely am um, fond of photography. And my my father's grandfather was uh, was a photographer. He's a president of the local Lynn Photography Club. So he, I think, originally kind of got me, um, you know, interested in that medium. Um, and also, I'm just surrounded by a lot of uh, actually artists, both music and and painting artists in my family. Um, and so. Uh, I think that probably had some influence um, over time. Okay. So when you, um, you know, got out into the job market at this point, where did you kind of see yourself going or where did you uh, gravitate towards? Yeah, I think when after college, um, like probably most people coming out of a liberal arts education, um, I had a lot of questions, you know, and, and I think at that time, when I think back, I had probably a very fixed mindset about what I could do with that degree. Um, I think in hindsight, I, you know, I encourage students to really think beyond what their major is. Um, because it, for me, it was, it was a bit limiting when I, when I graduated. And I think a lot of students, you know, coming out of school have that same mindset, right? They're, you know, they think, okay, only a history major can only be a lawyer, you know, or a teacher. Uh, or, you know, pick two or three other paths when really, you know, the major is a pathway to learn, right? It's a tool, it's a vehicle that we use um, during a certain period of time in our lives to, to learn the fundamentals of, of reading and writing and researching and communicating and, and working on, on teams or individual work. Um, but coming out of school, um, I really was uh, trying to find, okay, well, what is that path? And I landed in advertising after college, um, and part of that was because it was the only internship experience I had. I was exposed to um, while I was at at college, and so that was the natural fit for me um, to kind of investigate that as a career path. I think also it it really had uh, a creative element, you know, to the field that intrigued me, uh, even though I wasn't, you know, a, an art director or a copywriter or a, a designer per se. Um, I think being in a creative endeavor was, uh, was certainly, uh, an allure. And so I started, you know, networking in that field and finally landed, you know, my first job about a year after college, uh, at, um, at Arnold advertising or Arnold worldwide at the time. So, uh, very fun advertising agency world. Um, I worked in what was called the consumer insight group uh, of the agency world and 
a lot of firms call it brand planning or account planning, but really that's the group that communicates with the consumers, tries to help the, 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 the art direction and copywriting and creative teams uh, build that brand essence, you know, and, and hopefully it's tied to what are those emotional and rational triggers that, that consumers that go through consumers' minds as they make a buying decision, right? Um, so it was fun. And I worked for uh, a Titleist and FootJoy brand. Uh, I'm a golf nut, so that was an amazing account to work on. Um, a little bit of VW work at the time, uh, the Hartford insurance, which wasn't that interesting, but you know, it's important. Everybody needs insurance. Um, so it was fun. It, it was a really fun environment and that's, uh, very grateful to have that, um, that experience in that, in that industry. Yeah. So how did you decide to go from that to commercial real estate? Cause I feel like when I'm here, you talk about being in a creative environment, um, and, you know, ideating, I feel like there's a yeah. lot of ideating that goes on yeah. in a, in an advertising agency. Um, and I mean, we ideate too in commercial real estate, it's just in a different way. Um, so how, how did you one even start to look at that as mm. an area and then two decide you were going to, you know, pursue it like long-term? Yeah. Um, it's a, a great question. It's a, it's a, it was certainly something that uh, going into advertising or coming out of school, commercial real estate was not even in my lexicon. I mean, I, I did not have that on my radar. Um, and really, as I progressed in advertising, um, I went from very large agency, was recruited to a smaller shop, doing similar work, but you know, more of a startup mode. Um, and when you go from a large agency to a small shop, things, you know, it's, it's more responsibility, more opportunity. Um, but uh, you know, the light is sh shine down right upon kind of your work. Um, and I think at that season of my life, um, I was in my late twenties, um, feeling good, you know, making decent money at the time. Um, but if I'm honest with myself, the, the pivotal moment was, you know, the market went sideways in 2001. And, um, I was in a situation where, you know, I wasn't asking the right questions, right? You know, you get into sometimes roles where you're, you're promoted to a level and you have this feeling like, oh, I should know all the answers, right? If I don't know the answer, that's, that's not good. And so combination of market forces and just me being a little over my skis, I lost my job. Right. And so that, that was kind of a trigger and catalyst moment for me to then go on what I call kind of my second career slash soul search to be like, okay, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do next in this chapter? And, you know, after, after that event, which was a, a major setback for me at that time, I mean, picture this, I'm, I'm in my late twenties. I just bought my first house, uh, October 1st of, of 01. I proposed to my wife, uh, at our fifth anniversary in November 12th. Um, and in the middle of that, I got laid off. All right. So three major life events you know, like colliding in the span of, you know, a month, but it was a, uh, it was a really good time for me to just pause and reflect and say, okay, what do I want to do? Um, and, you know, through a, a journey of exploration and self-reflection and, and a lot of hard networking, um, I first actually thought about architecture and I, I took a deep dive into architecture because I was intrigued by the design side. I was intrigued by the field um, I spoke with every architect in my high school and college network, uh, probably about 60 people. And it probably took about three months. And after that three months, I was like, 
hell no do I want to be an architect. No offense to the architects out there. I love it and I appreciate it and I respect it. But what I learned in that process of really talking to architects about why they do the work and what, what do they love, what do they hate, it just seemed too similar to the world I had just left uh, or had just left me, right, in advertising. It was very similar in, in the scope. And I was at that time looking for something different, looking for something more. I really wanted to learn more about the financial world. I wanted to learn more about um, kind of design and development. I think through that exploration in ar into architecture, I realized that I was interested and intrigued about these buildings that were around me. And I had a few classmates that were working in this wild world of commercial real estate. Um, one of my groomsmen was at AEW, Asset Management, and another classmate at Dartmouth was working at uh, as a broker. All three of us were history majors, so we were good friends throughout college. And I just started asking them. Uh, so this is September of 02 is when I really started to focus 100% into commercial real estate and understand what are the different pathways to this. But those two doors that were cracked open through those connection points really allowed me to, to really investigate more. And I spent a good, from September to December, um, just really talking with people, not searching for a job, an opportunity. That was the goal. But at that point, I was, I was looking for a career, right? So I was looking for people that were going to be great mentors, were going to you know, help me answer those questions right, that I had about this field, and that were going to give me a platform to learn. Because I had already learned, you know, from mistakes that, you know, if you don't ask, ask those questions, you know, when you don't know the answers, you know, or if you don't have foundational, you know, mentors, uh, that's not a good recipe. So I was, I was determined not to put myself in another situation like that. And uh, I was grateful to, to through that process, um, uncover an opportunity at CBRE, which was at the top of my list at the time. Um, and as I looked at the different paths in real estate, whether it be in the development side or the analytical financial side, brokerage seemed very transferable to um, the skills I'd learned in advertising, seemed very transferable to brokerage, right? I'd never been an outdoor or outside salesperson, but I understood the marketing and sales process. I understood what the brand essence process was. And leasing and selling a building or leasing space um, is really no different than, than marketing um, you know, a brand. Uh, I mean, it's really all about the message and the story. Um, and so I found um, that was where I connected most and, and could transfer those skills, um, even my history skills, right? I mean, I, I spun all sorts of skills into that. You know, I was, because they asked the same question. So you're a history manager. Why do you want to do this? And so I, I was definitely, um, I was good at uh, transferring, you know, those skills into opportunity. So. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say, which I, I love this idea of being intentional about where you want to go next and taking the time to talk to the people who are doing it, making sure you understand fully what exactly a day in the life looks like and then what the career path forth looks like um, and ensuring that you're moving through a space that aligns with where you want to go and what you want to do instead of frantically just like, oh my gosh, I got to find something, I got to do something and jumping into something else that may not necessarily be what you uh, are saying you want to move towards. Mm -hmm. So taking the time to really, you know, investigate, dig, determine if this is what you want to do um, versus just being reactionary and, 
ending up in something. So I, Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Taking yeah. informational interviews to the next level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I think one thing that I, and I stress this with people that I talk with who are thinking about, you know, their next step in a career, there was a moment in time between advertising and commercial real estate where, um, I mean, it was before I was really focused on architecture as a potential path. I was just reacting to the chaos of the moment. Oh my God, I just bought a house. I just lost my job and I just, you know, engaged my, you know, I just got engaged in all these, you know, these anxious feelings, right. And, and the same type of feelings that people feel when they come out of college, like I just got to get a job. And so what that happens is people spread themselves over four or five different paths. And when you do that, particularly in a career search or a job search, you know, you walk into in, in interviews or conversations and you're not 100% in. You're only like 25% in because that's all the capacity you have. You can't split yourself into four pieces and, and still be committed to a path. And so it wasn't until I focused on one path and was able to rule it in or rule it out. And when I ruled out the architecture path, it was so freeing. It was so liberating because I didn't have to, you know, take a, a, a bit of my mind share on the what ifs. I knew that that wasn't for me. And I was not starting from zero back again. You know, I was actually, I had learned so much from the three months of conversations and I was closer to charting towards what do I want to do? What is my purpose? And, and now I know. So I think it's a, it's a matter of, for me, it's been a matter of removing the things that, that are non-essential that I know now I have ruled out. And so that, I, and I constantly do it even in my yearly kind of goal planning, you know, okay. So that absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's, it's basically the process of elimination, just trying to get clear and move things mm -hmm. out of the way so that you can really hone in on what you want to do. Um, so I, I'm going to, you know, talk about a huge, I think another shift for you. Cause I think when last time we met in person, in actual person, which sounds yeah. like forever ago, <laughs> um, was at the Wilshire Grand and you had decided again, I need to pursue something. Um, and I am going to move towards that. And so we had a good conversation about what had sparked you to, you know, again, reinvent, make another decision about where you want to go. Can you tell me about what prompted you again to reevaluate what was important and where you should focus your energy. Absolutely, um, it's it's been an, an amazing journey. So I'm a year away from starting my own social impact enterprise, and about a year and a half from leaving um, almost a 17 year career at CBRE. Um, and during that time, I wore a number of different hats. Right, first five years, I was in brokerage in the downtown leasing team. It was a phenomenal uh, learning experience. Um, was then tapped to, to run our marketing and uh, creative you know, agency team throughout New England, uh, which at the time when I was asked to do it, I said no, because it seemed like I was going back you know, to, uh, to advertising. Um, but it turned out to be a great, um, I'll use your language, uh, full circle moment, right? Um, you know, through that opportunity, I became you know, a partner in our New England you know, joint venture. And it was, it was a great opportunity to see the firm in, uh, in work with multiple teams, um, multiple geographies. And I finished my time at CBRE in sales management, you know, as a, at an MD level in Boston before, you know, our joint venture was sold to CBRE Inc. Um, and I think, you know, 
there's many reasons why I chose to, to make a shift, but I think one in particular um, was over the, I think the, the balance of my time at CBRE, but particularly the, the last 10 years of that time, I had started to dedicate more time to efforts around diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, and the company was um, sponsored me through um, some great professional development programs in Boston through the Partnership Inc., both as an associate uh, back in 05 and 06, which was a phenomenal um, leadership development program for, for me at that time, really helping me kind of define my brand and navigate, you know, difficult conversations. And, and especially, I mean, I was one of two brokers of color in Boston when I started. Um, and so it was a, it was a needed network for me to plug into outside of the company. Um, I eventually did another executive program with a partnership in 2017. And that program was another catalyst that really prompted me to kind of pause and reflect, right? Here I am at that point, 15 years into CBRE and, you know, my canvas that I painted on, you know, back when I was a young broker, you know, that blank canvas was no longer blank. It was multiple layers in that canvas and uh, multiple hats, but something wasn't right, right? I had started to dedicate a lot of work through committees and board work to these topics to try to improve diversity in our company. Um, I mean, the African American networking group that we were part of where we met, I mean, that, that group gave me so much energy, you know, you, you described it in the opening, but it was so true. I mean, I would, I felt like I would just bound out of those meetings of those three day meetings where you'd come together and with a group of, you know, 500 people from across the country. And then, then I'd go back to, you know, to Boston yeah. and try to just sustain that energy level, that momentum. And that experience started to happen more and more as I, you know, really started to champion these diversity efforts in trade groups um, and through the partnership on their executive council, where I'd go to these luncheons and discussions with great speakers. And I, I felt like I was surrounded by my people, right, by people that were all about kind of building bridges and harmony and, and inclusion um, to their respective industries. Um, and so that was really the bubbling force that, that really started me to, to think differently. Um, I think also, you know, frankly, you know, when our joint venture, you know, was sold, right, you, you see different cultural differences. And so, um, I've had many experiences working with a large company and a small company and, and the different dynamics. And, um, and I think I think the world of CBRE, and I'm very proud about what they're doing today in the, in the topics of diversity and inclusion. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and the, really, the final the final tipping point for me though was so I'm 45 this year. Uh, last um, February of 2019, uh, I lost one of my closest friends from high school, and uh, he died of a of a heart attack. And that moment was, I mean, you know, there are many times in your life when you just have a, you know, a moment of, of, okay, if any day could be your last day on the planet, like, what are you doing? And that moment for me really was the, the tipping point, you know, all this stuff, you know, about, okay, what am I, what's my purpose? What am I doing? How am I making an impact came right to the surface. And it was really within a span of, you know, three or four months from that, that point uh, is when I decided to to leave CBRE, so May of 19. Um, and I, I walked away really focused on how do I build something with impact? How do I do something around 
the intersection of diversity and inclusion. Um, and at the time, you know, really didn't know what that would look like. Um, but, uh, you know, grateful to stand here today with wearing two hats. One is my enterprise that I'm doing consulting work, uh, really helping companies in our industry around strategies related to diversity and inclusion and equity, and also working um, in-house at Millennium Partners, uh, really bringing to life um, a strategy that they authored three years ago around infusing DE&I work into a development. So how do you mm -hmm. bring um, these strategies to life? Um, through many, many different dimensions. Yeah. So what a, what a time right mm. now to be doing this work. I, I mean, you, I know, of course, can appreciate this. I think only, only DEI people <laughs> <laughs> can understand that there has been a surge, mm. you know, not only interest, but conversations and this reawakening that's happening. Um, you know, conversations you may have tried to have a year ago, um, dare I even say, you know, at the beginning of this year that you wouldn't be able to have, or you'd say some things and someone would just look at you like deer in headlights or like, mm -hmm. what exactly do you mean? Yeah. And so now having, you know, focused on this, um, and in this time, especially, what are the conversations that you get to engage in? What are the things that you're helping to shape that you feel like, you know, I'm really getting somewhere with this right now? Yeah, no, it's, it's been an amazing and, um, and an unprecedented year, right, to say the least. And those are, those are words that have been so overused. But it is, um, I think... Finally, this feels like a moment that uh, I hope translates into a lo much longer, sustainable, um, you know, movement towards equity, right? We're all kind of charting towards this course of equity and how we get there. Um, but I think what I'm, I'm hopeful about in, in the conversations that I've had this past year um, is that I think people, there's a sense of urgency um, in our industry. Uh, and even outside of our industry with um, how to do this work. Um, and I think the work really happens on multiple levels. I mean, there's a sense of urgency at the individual level as I talk to friends and colleagues and, and leaders in this industry that are starting their journey or at different parts of their journey, right? And, and really defining why this work is important. Um, I think at the company level, people uh, and organizations are, are, are doing work that, uh, that they wouldn't have even contemplated, you know, a year ago or 10 years ago, or, um, or are finally trying to uh, hearing or understanding some of the messages and some of the, the themes that even I tried to present um, five years ago um, in chairing committees, um, you know, topics and paths that, that were so obvious. I mean, if you, if you're in this work, it's, there's a, you know, a little bit of a fatigue uh, factor than having those conversations, but that's just part of the work, right? Um, and I still would say that I'm a, I'm a student of, of, of D&I work um, and will always be kind of a lifelong learner of, of this space. And really what I see is a great opportunity to connect our industry with an amazing battery of experts that have been doing this work in other industries. I think there are a lot of best practices and next practices happening 
um, outside of our, our industry that um, we can all learn from. Um, and I, I think that's, that's what gives me hope. Um, but it certainly has been a, there have been several different conversations, uh, both at the individual level, the company level, um, and the community level. Um, and it's, it's been an intriguing um, year. And even at a personal level, um, a lot of, you know, continued self-education, even for myself. Uh, there have been things this year that I have been truly humbled about. Um, books that I have read, articles uh, that I have read, people that I have talked to that have just uh, awakened me in ways that uh, have really made me pause um, yeah. and say, what have I been doing? Where? Yeah. How, how was I so asleep? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm going to ask you what book, ago. what book, what book this year you've read? Because I have, I have my own book that I've read that I'm like, oh. I still, it stays, it stays with me to like to this day. I think it will stay with me forever, because yeah. it was so. Um, how how it was well, it was written very well, but it just creates another paradigm in which you evaluate and assess and think about things. So, what was your book this year? And then I'll tell you my book. Yeah. So it's been a series of books. Um, so two years ago, I picked up White Fragility, which was amazing, right? I, I read it on an April vacation down to Washington, D.C. Uh, with my family. And it was, it was before I left CBRE. And it was just as a biracial man, I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, so it just it really opened my eyes to just the topics of race and the, and the, um, the difference between kind of how we define you know, what race is, what racism is, what prejudice, what, what discrimination is. So that was a, a definitely a, a, a go-to uh, resource. This year, it's been, a, it's been a series of books from um, Between the World and Me, which is just a beautiful uh, book um, that was uh, just even for the writing itself. But the, but the message was, was amazing. Uh, the Color of Law was another humbling read because, as, especially as a history major, and a person in real estate, um, the fact that, you know, I was not aware of, of some of these were just devastating, right? And I shared it with um, a handful of leaders, white leaders, um, that were equally as devastated. Um, and it's really a must read for anybody in the commercial real estate space. Um, and I just finished Cast by Isabella Wilkerson, which was uh, breathtaking, right? Um, just uh, on another level. Um, in terms of, um, so those are the, those are my awakening books this year and, and just trying to continue to be, uh, thirsty for, uh, for more. Yeah. I second you with cast cast hmm. stays with me to this day. Uh, I think about cast a lot. Uh, I mean, in a lot of situations that emerge, I think about cast, uh, because I, I do realize that it's a system that is stratified and where you are in that system determines your experience and also determines how you see others. Um, and it's, and it's an intersectionality within it. So it's not just race, which she talks about it. It's a lot of things that come together. Um, the book that I also enjoyed, um, is I'm still here, black dignity in a world made for whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Um, and that one, if you have grown up in the church or have had church in your life, um, and she talks about how it shows up 
I mean, at least those chapters I'd say were the ones to me that were more, wow. Like I, I never really thought about it like that. Black Jesus, white Jesus. She like literally says it like that. Um, (laughs) And who black Jesus is as a figure and what he represents to the black church versus white Jesus and what he represents to the white church. And the, um, the, I think how she posits the two. And then when you look at how church is one of the most segregated places in this country um, and what church is meant in uh, spirituality and religion. I mean, I love that book uh, mm-hmm. because I think it really, she talked and she just talks about a lot of things and the way she talks about it is very um, conversational, but matter of fact. Um, and then Ijeoma Aloa's um, So You Want to Talk About Race. If you know nothing about nothing and you want to yeah. just start at the beginning, um, I, I feel like that's a great primer for mm-hmm. folks if this is their first foray into even, you know, don't even know where to start. Um, that one is a a great one. Uh, so those are, those are my three. I, I don't get to talk to people about these books. So (laughs) I shouldn't say that I do for people who now are starting to read them. Um, but I think for people who like, this is what you do all the time. Like I was reading a lot of these books, like, like you said last year and the year before. Um, and so I, I, love to see them on the New York Times bestseller this year. <laughs> Absolutely. You're like, what? This is <laughs> this is on the New York Times bestseller. This is crazy. Um, but it's great because I think yeah. it's creating new language um and consciousness and mm-hmm. giving people, I'd say, the place to realize there's so much more to to learn. Everybody. Yeah. Like Absolutely. everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think once you, once you feel like if you have a fixed mindset of, you know, this is all I need to know. I mean, that's, that's when really you, you stop, you stop progressing. Right. So I think really being kind of a, a constant learner, right. There's, it really is a, is a key part of, of what I continue to try to, to do. Um, and even trying to like take these books, right. Take this content. How do you then translate it to, yes. to action? How do you translate it to, to really, impacting change uh, because I think it, it's a, it's an important education is an important step, but then it's like, okay, well, wh- how does this impact the work that, that I'm doing or need to do or others, you know, are doing, I think that's, that's one of, as I look to the, you know, this next year, this next 10 years, um, that's the big challenge, right? Yeah, definitely. App- applied, um, putting it into practice practitioner mm-hmm. is what I call it practitioner work. Um, yep. so what's next for you? I know you are involved with a lot of things. Um, and if you would like to talk about, you know, some of them, this is your, this is your time to do that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that, so I'm a, a year into building, um, the social impact enterprise and also doing work with the millennium partners, which has been a, a, a f- fantastic journey. Um, I think the work that Millennium Partners is doing to try to infuse these strategies uh, of diversity and inclusion into a development, um, they are one of the few leaders um, in not just the Boston market, but the national market trying to do this. So um, it's been exciting to, to really try to help them bring a portion of that strategy to life. Um, 
you know, they have um, they authored a uh, an MOU back in 2017 that was really focused on uh, jobs, contracts, and capital. So, you know, how do you bring more economic opportunity and inclusion to a uh, pipeline? Whether we're talking about construction jobs or professional services, and so that continues to be um, an exciting uh, endeavor, not just related to this building, but other other projects that I'm working on. Um, contracts and, and really trying to grow capacity among minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses that are doing work um, at the development uh, level, I think is critical. Um, and finally, capital. Um, and that's the, a key part of my role at Millennium is looking at a $1.3 billion development and uh, in seeking to raise capital and open the door of opportunity for investors of color to invest uh, in a global class A mixed-use tower, right? Um, so that has been an exciting uh, challenge and puzzle, uh, particularly in, in the world that we're living in right now. Um, in, in 2020 has changed the game, right, in terms of, of that. And yeah. um, so it'll be, a, it'll be an exciting uh, challenge to try to, to complete. You know, outside of Millennium, uh, I continue to really try to build what I call a capacity-building business, right? Strategies that are really going to help um, jobs, career, and, and contracts with firms that are trying to do great work. Um, you know, pipeline, I think, is a key, a key piece of, of how we can impact and improve diversity and inclusion in our industry. Um, I think over the course of my year, years at CBRE and even now, that continues to be um, one of the kind of key focuses and, and pillars that I'll always be involved with. Um, the Real Estate Executive Council uh, and our Real Estate Executive Exchange Program, uh, which is four years in the making, has really been one of the key, I'll call it pipeline um, programs, really, that are starting at the high school level, right, and trying to plant seeds of awareness and exposure to this field among students of color. And so really proud to be part of Reese, but also part of that Rex program, um, that have at this point have exposed about 400 students of color from across the U.S. to um, to fields of commercial real estate. So um, that's an exciting uh, program to, to be part of, and um, and I'm also working with a fairly large global developer right now, building out the um, a strategic plan and roadmap for a diversity and inclusion strategy for a very long uh, 10-year plus uh, development um, here in Boston. So. Um, I'm excited to just really continue to work on this puzzle and, and really make a, a longer term impact. Right. I think that's really the, the ultimate goal. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm going to start to wrap up. Mm -hmm. I have two questions or should I say mm -hmm. two things that I ask right before we end. Um, one is a fill in the blank inclusion okay. in my industry looks like, um, I think misunderstood and multi-layered. Um, you know, I think misunderstood because it oftentimes gets thrown in with diversity and inclusion and equity. And I think uh, in our, our industry has really been doing a lot of uh, work on the diversity pipeline front. But um, there's a very, as, as you know, working in this field, there's a distinct difference between diversity work, belonging work, inclusion work, and equity work. And I think our industry has, we are coming to educate those in the industry about the difference. Um, but I think sometimes that, that term gets, gets kind of confused. 
Um, and I think multi-layered is because there's a lot of great ways that we can all make an impact, right? At the career level, um, at the, you know, the capital level, at the contract level, um, community development and, and how our field really impacts, you know, what we build. Um, and the civic policy level. I mean, you know, you read Color of Law. I mean, you yes. know how impactful yes. policy can be. Um, and finally, culture, right? I mean, I think that's ultimately, um, that's why I think it's a multi-layered, you know, uh, topic. Yeah. What does life look like coming full circle to you? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I think for me, and this, I feel like I have had, even in this year, uh, and some full circle moments. I think so for me, full circle is this, uh, this awakening that, uh, you know, some of the gifts and some of the, the, the key, the core ethos that, that I have been, you know, trying to kind of define and uncover, um, has always been there. Right. And so I think that has been, you know, and I've had a couple of those instances um, over the last year. And even as I think back to, you know, my time at CBRE, right, when I was asked to kind of lead the marketing effort, and I said no, because I felt like I was going back when I, it was a, it was this great full circle moment that sprung me forward. Um, and I even think as I look at building what I'm building now, um, I'm really looking at my, my hometown of Lynn and seeing, okay, how do I build capacity in jobs and, and contracts you know, right, and capital? And how do I look at a community like Lynn that's been in front of me my whole life, right? That now I think could be a perfect example of a vehicle to do that, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love what you're doing, Carolyn. I mean, this is a, it's an amazing, amazing uh, venture for you. Thank you so much. No, I, um, I hear the full circles in your story, like very easily. Um, and it is, I think a big part of why doing this has been so rewarding for me is because you have it all along, right? It's like that Dorothy, um, you had it all along. You may not have known about it, but as you continue to, you know, get out there and try new things, do new things, you realize, oh, wow, this is my gift. This is my superpower. This is what I'm bringing to the world. And so, um, I love it when people realize it so that you can like go full throttle and just do those big, hairy, audacious, audacious goals, right? Just get out there and do, do those things. So, um, just listen to yourself, right? I think that sometimes gets in the way, you know, I think we all sometimes get on these courses where we're, we're doing things that we think we should do. Versus, you know, coming to a point where you're discovering that, you know, you have the power, you have the gifts, and you just got to listen to your your internal compass, right? For sure. To, uh, to live that personal legend, right? Yes. The alchemist. There's another. The alchemist. That's another one. I know. Uh, I think you and me are like <laughs> twin flames on so many things. It's kind of crazy. You're uh, like speaking my language through books. Uh, so I this is it. fantastic. Um, I appreciate you being on today. This was, you know, everything I thought it would be and more. Um, I appreciate just you just being yourself. I think this is why we're here, folks. You don't need to be anybody else. Okay. This is why you're here. Um, I will be leaving your information in the show notes, how people can reach out to you, how they can learn more about the projects that you're working on, how they can work with you if they've got some needs. 
Um, and I'm just, I'm excited to see where this is going to go for you because sky's the limit. Sky yeah. is the limit. Um, so thank you so much, Tig. I appreciate yeah. you today. And um, thank you for coming to Full Circle. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carlin. It was a pleasure to be here. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Right. Best of luck. What a great episode today with Tig. I enjoy speaking with him so much because I feel like we have a shared understanding, not only of um, how we kind of show up to DEI work, but also just um, our own experiences and where they've led us. Uh, the things that have stood out to me the most um, from his specific episode is been this idea of trying things with a growth mindset so that you can learn how to apply the skills that are your strengths. Uh, he mentioned that, you know, he wanted to try things and in order for him to do that, he wanted to go into it with a open mind. Uh, when he was, you know, looking at courses in college, uh, deciding to, you know, put some art into his, um, minor, just, getting out there and trying things. I think sometimes when we pigeonhole ourselves into this is what I'm good at and this is the only thing I should be doing, uh, we kind of miss out on some of the other things that we're either not aware that we're good at or just things that we would like to enjoy. Sometimes it doesn't always have to be something you do uh, for practical application. Uh, and so the things that he said, like writing, researching, analysis, critical thinking skills. You can apply these skills to anything, uh, no matter what you study. I think with the liberal arts education, if you're using those same skills, whether you're applying it to history or English or math or science, um, anything that you try to apply these skills to, you're still learning these skills by virtue of doing it in that particular discipline. So what I enjoyed about him saying, you know, trying things with a growth mindset is huge because I don't want anyone ever to feel like they have to kind of go down a narrow path because that's the way, the one way to do something. Um, the second thing that he said was having those existential moments where you do self-reflection. Uh, what's my purpose? What am I doing with my life? Asking questions of yourself. Like, what do I want to do? Um, I think we have these moments often. Um, and I think in times like this, particularly with a pandemic, you know, life has slowed down just enough so that you can have those moments of questioning, what am I doing? Am I fulfilling my purpose? And I think those big questions can be scary because it forces you to have to really look deep inside yourself to determine, am I following my passions? Am I following um, my values? Uh, but I think what I loved about what he said was he went on a pursuit to determine if these potential interests were things he wanted to you know, learn more about. And he took time to investigate and do a deeper dive, um, particularly in his case with architecture, talking to people who do architecture, getting a sense of whether taking his interest in you know, marketing and design and applying that to architecture if that was something for him. And by taking the time to talk to people who do it, uh, find out what makes them tick, what they love about their job, 
it made it easier for him to move away from it when he decided he didn't really see that as his path. Um, and I think so often we feel like we have to make a decision quickly and we have to just, you know, move forward. And what I loved about what he said was, you know, taking the time to investigate, do a deeper dive, taking time to reflect uh, really helps you to hone and fine tune your go forward strategy to determine where you can leverage um, your skills and leverage your interests and your passions. Um, and so when you commit to a path forward, you don't have any reservations or second thoughts about, am I making the right decision? Um, and then the last part, which was right before we ended, and we we talked about listening to yourself. Uh, and listening to yourself, I think, is a part of that self-reflection. Um, and listening to yourself can, again, may not have an answer out the gate, may not sometimes even be the answer you thought of, um, maybe something that you've, you've always wanted to do. It's just you've been putting it off or just saying this is not a good time. Um, what I loved about his interview was saying, you know, he had a lot of life events happening at once when when he had to make a decision about what he wanted to do. And so listening to himself internally, there's a lot of, I'd say, internal work that goes with thinking about what do you want to do um, and not feeling like you have to rush to make that decision, but really being still and quiet enough to hear the answer and, and know that you have what you need to get you to the next thing. So um, those were the things that really stood out from his interview for me. I enjoyed speaking with him so much because I think we have um, this shared passion for DEI, but I believe that in his story, you hear a lot about how you can um, make those moves by listening to those internal uh, internal pieces of yourself that are always speaking to you uh, if, if you choose to hear them. Um, so those three things, again, uh, trying things with the growth mindset so you can learn how to apply the skills, uh, having a opportunity to ask yourself the right questions uh, so that you can commit to a path forward. And thirdly, listening to yourself um, in order to help you create that path forward. So um, this was a great episode. Hoping some of these nuggets this week can help you to um, get clear on next steps for yourself. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.